talking to John was was a lot of fun. Talking to John was great. Uh, I also am really glad we ended the season with this particular ride. Um, it might be one of the biggest so far. Uh, John Shackelford is a 25-year-old New York City bike messenger, and he traversed over 1,115 miles on a bicycle uh, and really ultimately created a story. And he's been talking to a lot of people since then, including us. I don't know why, but he was nice enough to come talk to us about it. <laughs> yeah, very nice of him to share the story with us. Yeah, this is a really cool story. And um, yeah, it was, it was a fun conversation. Slight mic scratching at the start, but um, we fixed it. <laughs> we're working on, we're, we're tweaking our, our stuff, figuring this out as we go. Everyone's like just shook, you know, you got pregnant dogs, you got dogs pooping, you got people wandering around, you got activity in the back, we got all this camera gear, oh it's God. not starting off good, you know, so, so I'm like, all right, whatever. I'm like, all right, I'm, let's go get some food. Thanks again, John, for joining the Big Dumb Ride podcast. Accidental podcast slash really just winter activity. This is just the beginning. Now you guys done a few already, right? Yeah, we've done, we'll have 10 episodes. 10, yeah. yeah. You guys done a lot. Uh, we really just wanted a reason to talk to our friends, stay connected with the community. Uh, and there were so many yeah. things that came out of our rides this summer. Um, and we felt like other people had stories to tell. So yeah, where do we start? Cause my ride was insane. So for people who would be listening to this for the first time, what, what was the ride? Tell us about what it was and the distance that you traveled. I like to do tours myself. We do a tour like almost every year and I've wanted to do like a really big one. So 1100 miles is really big for me. I've never done that many uh, miles before. And the idea was that you know, like because of all the chaos that was going on in the world at the time. And, you know, currently to this day, we decided to back a lot of Southern states uh, and connect them with the Underground Railroad. So we started in Mobile, Alabama, and we kind of pinpointed our way from like a lot of historical monuments or historical sites or, you know, towns or locations or, or pretty much any individual who would like to talk to us and discuss history. We kind of made it our goal to go make that in our route. So. We, we mapped it from Alabama to D.C. And um, it's about 50 to 90 miles a day average, doing like 3,000 to 7,000 feet of climbing a day. But we did, we did manage to stop and, you know, and have a few days off. And we actually we did a lot. We did like a lot of, it started from like a, just like a big dumb ride to like a really big advocacy kind of ride. My initial idea was it was going to be on YouTube. It was going to be kind of small. But once this, you know, there's my editor, uh, John Lynn, and then that was a, a videographer, Terry Berenson. Once they got on the project and they put their own spin on it, you know, people love the teaser. And then that kind of like spurred it into like this really big idea and this big project. And then like, that's where all the sponsors kind of came from. But I hadn't, it was so overwhelming. It's so fucking overwhelming. You know, like, especially for me, because I'm not really used to it. And I know none of the homies didn't take it seriously. They're like, oh, he's just, he's, he's just fucking around with us. You know, like, they're not going to give us all these bikes. They're not going to give us all this stuff. And then, like, like, a month later, you know, we're all set, you know, ready to go. It's like a nutritionist every day and, like, fucking someone carrying our bags and stuff like that. It was crazy. 
a lot of support, a lot of support. It turned into us, you know, giving bikes away. We gave bikes away to uh, Ahmaud Aubrey's family in, That's cool. yeah, in, in Georgia. Um, we actually drove like four hours out the way just to go do that and gave out 40 bikes for them. And then Laser Helmet gave all the kids helmets. And then we actually, when we got to DC, we actually got to do a bike giveaway again. We had so much extra funding for budget that we just were giving bikes away, you know? Incredible. And yeah, so we went to Dunbar, we gave bikes out to all those high school kids. And like, honestly, like my ride could have ended the first giveaway. Like the, the, the look on those, the kids' faces when they got bikes, because some of them didn't even know how to ride bikes or never owned a bike. So like, I was like, let's just do that. You know, like, so I, let's do it again in DC. That kind of, we did it again. And then, you know, it's kind of how this next tour is gonna evolve solely about just giving back. But um, the ride was just insane. You know, like besides, you know, the normal mileage and dealing with the, the, the chaos and stuff like going on in the world, the, the terrain was really different. You know, like going from, Alabama to Georgia, it was super flat. And then from Georgia to South Carolina to North Carolina, it was insanely hilly. And then Virginia just got really worse, you know? And <laughs> yeah, it was fucking insane. Before I keep blabbing on, do you guys have any questions? Because I, I don't I don't know. What gave you the original idea to do this route? There's already a, a, a route kind of created, bicycle route, and it's like a man-made route that they go from Alabama just straight to Canada. And, and then you do further research and you find that like there was no one particular route, you know, like a lot of slaves, just people don't know, actually didn't need their town. They would just switch their role from a slave to a freedman and then played that role so well, or they would migrate, you know, a further states away or in a reservation a few miles down the road, you know? So freedom to, a slave was pretty much anywhere where they were safe and at peace. So, and then you do further research, a lot of routes were along the water in the Northeast. So, you know, that route straight to Canada kind of like threw me full. I was like, okay, whatever, you know, like, but let's make our own route. And we decided to create our own route that way. And I felt that DC was my freedom, you know, that's home for me. So that was the ending point for a lot of us actually, except for one person. And, uh, we all agreed upon that, that that would be the finish. And it, it just made more sense, you know, and ending on Black Lives Matter way was like a really good ending for the doc. I can, I can, I just had that vision too. And, and rolling up to the fountain at DuPont Circle, like the lake, that, that spot probably means a lot to you, right? That, definitely. I spent a lot of long nights and pretty much every day there as a messenger. And it did bring back some memories because like the lake never changes. You always see the same people, no matter how long, you know, how far you've gone or how long you've been away. You can always go back to DuPont Circle and the same crew be there. Except this time there was a pretty big crowd. <laughs> oh yeah. It was in, yeah. It was a really big, big crowd. It was raining too. I was not expecting people to come out in the rain. People came out and they rode with us. It was, it was pretty sick. So it started as a, an idea that you had to, ride the underground railroad route although that's just a tour many of you ended up creating your own and then it grew into this movement that turned into something a whole lot bigger and i know you were doing a ton of 
organizing, fundraising, messaging, storytelling around this ride, going into it, there were a lot of moving parts. And then you had to go do this ride of yeah. 114 miles. And so how did you choose who to bring with you on this ride? Um, so the first step after I had this idea was to figure out, okay, like, how can we, how can we make this dream come true? So we had to, cre- we had to break up in teams. I had to literally go through, I put out a, an inquiry online. I'm saying, okay, I need, I need a director, I need a producer, you know, I need a good experience after they saw the teaser. So that was kind of like, okay, they're doing something pretty serious. And I got all these, a lot of sick requests and it narrowed it down to, um, a few people, uh, faith out of Oregon. She's like, um, she's the DP. She did like, she helped us with the REI sponsor and like our nutrition stuff like that. And then you had Narenda who, um, she has history and production. She's done. I don't know if you've heard of Kanye's Sunday service. It's like a, some, it was a Kanye West music video. It was pretty famous that she produced. Um, and then it's a woman named faith who uh, she has her own production company. And then those three together, along with John and Terry and uh, a few other people in the back end, divide the power amongst the people and then let the, I trusted them to like, you know, make the vision kind of happen. So like, so all I had to do was ride, you know, that was literally it. My job was just slowly to ride. And I picked the individual riders from either just like, you know, history racing or you know just being a good friend of mine like me and alex have been friends for a very long time and we actually got started racing cross together um around the same time and that's when i met jake from from richmond that's my buddy he actually got me in a cross like mountain biking and cross so i could think a lot of my bike stuff from jake and and like jason buddha and dudes like that and then we had Rashad from Baltimore. I met him at Charm City because he's a Baltimore local. And he was one of the only black dudes that I saw like racing my field. And he was my age too. So me and him clicked right away. And and me and Eduardo, Eduardo's from DC also. He's a Dominican and El Salvadorian. And he grew up working at like Cycle Life and Oh, wow. Matt Moore shop. And yeah. yo, you remember Cycle Life? That's way yeah. back then. <laughs> Broke laughing. It's way back then. Way back. <laughs> so he's been around it for a very long time. And he was like an Olympic certified mechanic. I was like, all right, he, we need him. So that's my buddy. He moved to New York with me, or I moved to New York after him. And I was like, all right, he was on board. And then I had another gentleman from uh, Indiana, Richard. He, I raced with him. At a knack, he's a messenger, but I met him at Knack Philly, and he like like I said, pretty cool. He's in skateboarding. He can he's pretty fast too, and he also races cross. So a lot of these dudes have like either cross backgrounds or some type of riding, <laughs> riding history. So that's kind of how I picked my team, and then I also just picked dudes who I knew that like never really done anything like this. No one really had this much experience with this many miles. So that was another good reason to all put us together because it's never no one's ever done this thing. So. It'd be kind of unique. Yeah. A lot of us are fresh off the couch. <laughs> you know, a lot of us, that's what we call them couch riders. You know, like you get on the road and you're like, wow, you like, everyone's in pretty much good shape, you know, <laughs> like down to like day nine, day 10, we're all like doing really good. Yeah. And you're, you're really surprised, you know, 
Well, you've got a bank of years of cycling and you've got a crew that you trust and you know are willing to get a little crazy. Well, that's the thing. No one really met anyone either. I'm the only <laughs> one that know all these people. No one, no one doesn't know anyone for real. And, uh, and that was just another really cool dynamic because it, uh, well, when the movie comes out, it's going to be sick to actually like see us bonding, but don't, this is the first time we're actually like spending this much time together, but there's some fights in there. There's some arguments like me and Alex almost fight for Wahoo directions over Google directions. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have like used the Wahoo versus Google routes. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that Wahoo, man, it'll send you like out in the boondocks and you know, 10 miles out your route and then come back. Whereas Google just the most direct route. And that was super frustrating. And uh, yeah, I had to just, I kept trying to like control the ride. I'm just like, let it go. Let, let the boys do what they want to do. You know, like so many moving parts, a lot of personality, uh, a lot of miles. Yeah. I think, I think fights are maybe a rite of passage or just part of the process. Oh, that for sure, man. We squashed it. It's so funny. We didn't even realize it was going to be on camera. We're just in the parking lot having lunch. And I think I was just frustrated because they gave us tuna sandwich, tuna salad sandwiches. And I'm like, no, you fucking tuna salad. Like, fucking gross. And he's, he's pissed at me over, you know, me complaining over Wahoo. And I'm pissed at him because he's talking shit. So we're just getting at it. You know, it was, it was bad. It was all on camera, too. And I didn't even care at one point. <laughs> Y'all can look back okay. on that. Um, and then I just, I apologize because I was being like, a, I was being a douche. I was like, my back, I'm sorry. <laughs> and like made up and everything was cool. You guys are still friends after all that. Oh yeah. That was like three quarters of the way in. We won't spoil it too much. Uh, but, but what is it like hearing yourself say when the movie comes out? It, it, it's it's like hope, you know, it's super hopeful because I have honestly at this point, I have no clue when the movie's going to come out. No clue. Um, it can come out June. It can come out June of next year or June of 2022. I don't know. You know, but at the same time, like, when it does come out, it's going to be really good. You know, I just want people to be patient and be patient with me and be patient with my editors and the production team because if we want this thing to be as big as we're hoping, which is like Netflix or HBO, then you got to have you know, certain a certain pre-production budget that qualifies it for that quality, if you get what I'm saying. And the production team was huge. We had two cars, a van, and another van that was empty, and then a, it had a trailer on it with all the kitchen stuff that would cook for us and, like, hold all our bags and stuff like that. It was pretty sick. Like, it was a company called Backroads. They actually volunteered and oh, help you doing the ride. And I'm like, all right, whatever, cool. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty rad. Dude named uh, Abdul and woman named Pickles. Pretty, pretty nice people. <laughs> yeah, pretty nice people. And we got, uh, man, we got chased by five or six dogs a day. So I do recommend if you're biking in the South, like touring, spray some water or like pepper spray or something. I don't know, but... They are vicious out in the south. Yeah, we've we've had some some dogs in the south stories. <laughs> yeah, those are <laughs> all sorts of mammals, really. Traumatizing. It's so traumatizing. Possums, dogs, deer. 
when we first got the mobile and we're like getting off the plane where everyone's like sort of nervous. I'm nervous because no one's never met each other. You know, I've, I haven't, I'm nervous about my fitness because I don't know how like I'm going to do. I don't know how all these other dudes are going to do. And like we get off the bike, we're all chatty patty. We're chilling, you know, smoke, having a safety meeting, if you know what that means. Uh, at the airport, um, then a woman comes outside. She's like, hey, what are you guys up to? And, you know, we tell her that, oh, we're, we're biking from here to D.C. along the Underground Railroad, and we're filming it. She's like, oh, that's really cool. She's like, you guys mind if I uh, take your information down? I'd love to share this with one of my journalist friends. I was like, all right, cool, no problem. And mind me, I'm the only one talking. Everyone else is quiet. They're shy. They don't want to talk to no one right now. So I give her the info. No camera people are around or anything. No, we give her the info, and she goes about her day, and the camera crew comes. They take our gear, and we ride to this hotel. My, this hotel that we ride is called the O'Connell Lodge Hotel. And when we get and when we get there, it's just so much traffic. I've never seen as much traffic at a motel before, like super close to the to the hotel. So now I realize that it takes me a while. A lot of these people live here. And I'm like, okay. So we unpack all the stuff, take everything upstairs, and we get out. We get out on the second floor, and you see three or four dogs running, like walking around. The hotel. One of them, yeah, the, the motel. Just walking around randomly. All right, it kind of scared me because I'm, I got bit by a, a dog on the job recently, and I'm like, well, yeah, it was like not really. It was a pit bull too. And I was like, oh nah. And then like I look again, and this fucking dog's taking a shit like in front of the hotel door and i'm like okay so i'm like yo this dog's like taking a poop he's like all right well let that's not go to our room you drop the bags off and i'm like all right i'm ready to go in the pool put swim chunks on ready to go to the pool go to the pool the pool water's gray i'm like all right whatever guess i don't get in the pool so go back upstairs i'm like all right at least let me try to brush my teeth or something turn the water faucet on that's gray and then it doesn't drain and like I'm like nervous. To, everyone's like just shook. You know, you got pregnant dogs, you got dogs pooping, you got people wandering around, you got activity in the back. We got all this camera gear. Oh it's God. not starting off good, you know. So, so I'm like, all right, whatever. I'm like, all right, I'm, let's go get some food. See what the town's like. So I get this call from this guy. This guy's from like Fox 10 News, Alabama. And I'm like, all right, cool. Whatever. He calls me up. It's like, hey, I gotta. I heard you guys are doing a ride, and uh, I just want to see if I can get you guys on the news tonight. And I'm like, all right, cool. He's like, where are you guys located? I'm like, we're at the Connell Lodge near the hotel. He was like, all right, I'll be there at five. I was like, oh, cool. I get another call from this from the guy. I can't. I, this guy was um. He had to have been like a lawyer, or he owned, or he was like a. Was he like a. Was he a judge? He was somewhere politically. It was political hierarchy in Alabama. He called me up and was like, hey, I heard you guys are doing a huge uh, <clears throat> ride from Alabama to D.C. And he's like, I'm like, wow, news must spread quick. He's like, where y'all staying? I'm like, we're staying at the O'Connell Lodge Hotel right there at the airport. He was like, oh, no, you guys can't stay there. <laughs> and he was like, He's like, let me call you back in five and see if I can get you some more, some more hotels somewhere else. I'm like, seriously? 
He's like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, I don't, that's just not a place I want, you know, because he, he knew we were filming, I guess. He didn't want to be represented. This is Alabama because we were surely going to film that. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, nah, we, we, we weren't. So that's that's kind of messed up. We weren't going to film that. But So uh, the guy, we wait. I tell the crew, everyone's all excited. No one has unpacked anything because we were, the plan was to already leave prior to this guy calling, we were just waiting on a, a phone call to book the next hotels. And so no one in back. And I was like, yo, this dude called me. We might be getting some free hotels somewhere else. It was like, get the fuck out of here. <clears throat> so I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. This dude calls me back maybe like a few hours later. He, no, he calls me back after the Fox News interview. And then <clears throat> he's like, hey, well, uh, I got y'all seven rooms at the Renaissance Hotel. And let me pull up. It's like completely different. Five-star hotel, seven rooms, everyone gets their own bed. We all got complimentary breakfast. There's there's people meeting us out front, shaking our hands. Wow. Uh, It was pretty, like, it made you feel, like, pretty honored, you know? I'm like, they had drew out the red carpet, and I'm like, this is crazy. So... We, they brought out, they, our people started filming, you know, because it was kind of great. They started filming the documentary. Then I, I met this dude named Judge, who was like a pretty famous judge in Alabama. And he gives us, you know, a private, he, he hooks us up with like a private museum tour to the EJI Museum. And the cool thing about that story is that like a small conversation at the airport, you know, some crazy the best start to a tour like ever happened. That's amazing. Almost the worst. Yeah, it could have been, it could it started off kind of pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. But it, it ended in such like crazy form. Like I like I said, super overwhelming. Like I don't really expect stuff to happen like that. And you know. People were hearing about your story and interested in what you were doing. Mm-hmm. And also okay. wanted to represent Alabama well. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely did not want to embarrass Alabama. Yeah. And an, another cool thing is that, like, along the ride, people were like, oh, we saw you on the news. Keep going. You know, and I was like, oh, that's, that's sick. Really, that's you know, cool. like, that was pretty <laughs> rad, too. Galvanize people and get people excited when they figure out what you guys are doing. John, this, this next question is sort of an interesting one because we we tend to ask this question, like, did you have any oh shit moments or did you feel like you'd gotten over your head or were you in any danger? It sounds like actually the, the very moment from like before you began the ride, you had one of those moments, but were there any, any particular, I mean, the, the, the dogs, the starting in the, in the city like that, were there any, any moments where you thought to yourself, like, I wonder if we're going to make DC. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a there was a lot there's a lot of times and I'm like I really uh, there was a, I don't want to spoil it but some someone get gets landed in the hospital um, pretty early on oh jeez and uh, we actually got harassed in Alabama uh, from like a good old boy you know he was two of our guys were in the back like maybe a mile and a half away and. He decided to pull over on the shoulder in the middle of nowhere and let one of his boys out. And I don't know what their plan was, but you know, they, I get a call and like, hey, wait up. This dude's like, these, these dudes are fucking with us. So we started to head back and we meet them and we, Lord behold, this group, this uh, black pickup truck, you know, who like slowly rolls past us, hit the median and it goes the other way. And I'm like, oh, that's 
That's fucking scary. Yeah. That's fucking scary. That's fucking scary. Yeah, that that was like an oh shit moment. Um there's there's a lot. And there's there's quite a lot. There was times when I thought like production was stopped, you know. Touring, you have like your own schedule. You wake up kinda whenever, go to bed kinda whatever. Yeah. Now for this, this is like a job. You get up at seven, mm-hmm. you gotta pack the bus, you gotta make sure you do all your interviews, you gotta make sure you got your mic on you, you gotta make sure the route is good, eat, you know, then if you gotta bike somewhere, make sure you gotta meet a person for an interview, you gotta do that. You know, it was it was like a full-time job plus touring. So at certain points it felt like it was fun and then other points I was like, fuck this. Like I'm ready to just be over it. Yeah. You know. Because it just didn't feel it just it just wasn't as fun, you know. Like I, I we were to a such a strict schedule that like there was no room for maneuverability. And I like to maneuver in the schedule. Like I like to to be able to push things around and move things around as as I feel. So you know, you're in good company right now. <laughs> as in, yeah, I don't mind that. Yeah, no plans, spontaneous. Yeah. They just do it. I completely agree with that method of touring or traveling, but it's not good for other people. A lot of people can't operate like that, you know? So you kind of just have to put your own, you know, spread out agenda and, you know, organize it a bit. And it was just, it's just something I wasn't completely used to. Yeah. It sounds like it became something bigger than what you initially anticipated. And then you were dealing with, logistics people your safety the safety of others and i'm sure a lot of other stuff from start to finish oh yeah a lot of miles definitely we had to fire we had to fire someone oh no yeah he was being sketchy yeah 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 and yeah i had to give him the boot and uh it was was just being disrespectful to the women on the teams i stuff. so oh man come Um, on yeah, I had to let that I let, let that dude go real quick. Yeah. And uh what else? And other than that, like there's pretty pretty a lot of good positive stuff too. Like I guess I, I had a, a question for you about because you're a bike messenger by day mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you you live your life on a bike, you deal with people, you deal with a city like New York <laughs> and mm-hmm. traffic and challenges and like I'm curious how that experience helped you on this ride or prepared you for these kinds of moments, even though it was more than what you expected it would be. Did you find Mm -hmm. yourself drawing on some of your experiences and probably like toughness as a bike messenger, I imagine to deal with. Honestly, a lot of the, a lot of the, yeah, honestly, a lot. Yeah. A lot has to do with me. I think that was the reason why my fitness was kind of there is because I'm, I'm on a bike you know, seven days out of the week, if I'm not driving, you know, even though it's base miles, but mentally I'm always on the bike. So I can be on the bike for eight to 12 hours a day and be fine. You know, just as long as my body is there with me, you know, like that's what I, I'm so glad we had that nutritionist who was, who would, if we needed some help or something, they'd give him a call and he was right there. But, um, just high, like, eat before you hungry, drink before you thirsty was like a big rule of mine, you know, like that will save your life. And there were times when I was shaky or I would, I didn't, you know, I didn't like the lunch. So I skipped lunch like a dummy and, <laughs> you know, I had to go stop at a gas station and eat like 
something greasy and feel like shit. And, you know, so like it really, you're learning your body a lot. And I definitely, as a messenger, yes, mentally, you'd be on a bike for hours, but nutritionally, no. And when I'm at work, like I'll have a few beers, like I'll drink, but I'll eat a piece of pizza, you know, because I know I'm burning it off. But when you're biking that much, you can't do that. You know, you can't gargle a piece of pizza 50, 50 miles into a 90 mile day. You know, you'll, you won't. Unless you're Andy Carr. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I can't do it. Like, I cannot do it. I, mean, I did that. Because Andy literally lives off frozen pizza <laughs> on these bike rides. So, I eat like a raccoon, so <laughs> you know, on the bike. Substance, yeah, substance. Yeah. Gross as shit. <laughs> well, we um, what about uh, what about the highest high then? What was the the highest high of the experience? It wasn't even riding, dude. The it was give the kids' faces, man. Like the pure joy from them after they got their free bikes was the sickest feeling ever. I wanted to stop biking. I was like, man, I could chill all day. Y'all can keep biking. I was going to hang with these kids and keep teaching my ride. And then like, that's kind of, that was the highlight of my trip. And, um, we actually raced the alley cat in Richmond. For, no uh, shit. What? Yeah. Messenger appreciation day. <laughs> we got, we got the Richmond on 10, nine and we raced the alley cat with Stu. Stu threw the alley cat. Shout out to you, Stu. And he actually, like, a lot of the checkpoints were related to African-American culture, which was pretty rad. And I, I was I was doing an interview at the at their statue. Um, I'm not forgetting the name of this. There's a statue on uh, in the huge circle, and they painted it, and they made it their own. And I was doing an interview there. I think it is a statue. And I think Rashad came in second place. So, hey, you brought it home. He was on the, on the podium for the boys. So I was pretty proud of that. How many miles in racing an alley cat? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, yo, we just got off the bike, but we're still going to race. Let's do it. So that's really impressive. Made it happen. Like a thousand mm-hmm. miles in. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yep. That was like, well, it, it was like, it's not going to be that bad, you know? And it was pretty, it was pretty challenging. <laughs> Amazing. Um, all right. Well, you've indicated to us it's like there are a lot of components to this ride. There is mm-hmm. the the logistics, the organizing, the journey that you wanted to go on, the journey that you brought other people on, the things that you learned along the way. And I know you've been doing a lot of these interviews, and it's been some time since you did the ride. And so I'm curious if you had a time machine, is there anything you would have done differently to prepare for this? Definitely bike choice. It's cause like, oh man, my setup was so janky. <laughs> I said it was so janky. Like my bike creaked every day. Imagine every pedal stroke, your bike creaks. Uh, for a thousand miles. <laughs> everyone everyone you- will tell you. What were you on? Oh my God. It, I had a, okay. So I wanted to ride my, my bike. I was used to, and I knew I had the steel bike. It's already set up. I just needed a few extra parts. So maybe like a month or two before I had biked from New York to Niagara Falls, like fully loaded down. And I didn't really do much to the bike before then. So it, it still was had damage from that bike. <clears throat> like the like my cassette body was so torn, like worn down that every time 
the cassette would go on the cassette body had a groove, it'll just click the groove, which made that clicking noise. So for since day one, got off the plane, my bike was clicking. And I just ignored it about playing my music louder. That was like the way I got rid of it. But it, it, it annoyed everyone else to the point when it was like, yo, you should get your new bike. I was like, man, I'm good. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to ride a new bike. And, um, I, I chose that. And then I also had mechanical brakes at one Oh five with like skinny road tires. And if I could just change, you know, if I could change my wheels and like make it a proper setup, I would have fucking did that, you know, but I decided to be cheap and quick and literally i got my bike done like the night before we were getting on the plane we got on the plane at 4 a.m i remember that so i almost missed my my uber to the airport because my plane left at four i had to get up at like 30 oh. or something like that so okay. that's how you started tour. looking back on this last experience you know what would you say is the the thing that sticks out in your memory the most the most memorable part of the experience or most memorable day or um yeah you know, when you look back and you think about it like what pops into your mind first the weather the weather because like i don't remember if i left it was like really cold it was cold and rainy when i left new york <clears throat> The weather was beautiful. It was 80 degrees almost every day. We and it, it didn't rain at all. It didn't rain until like the last two days. And to have a tour go like perfect weather is really unheard of, you know? Like I can really appreciate that. Like, and oh, also that we left right in time before at, at like a hurricane had ended. Like there was a hurricane like a week before our trip was supposed to start. And then the hurricane died off and it was sunny skies after that. And we had just, it was perfect. So that, that was like one thing that I really like, could I, can I ask for anything better? It's perfect weather. Not only do you, do you not get good weather every day of a tour, but that, that's not just any tour. You bike halfway across the damn country. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And to only have rain in for like the last two days of the trip, wasn't that bad, you know, look back at it. The food, the food was amazing too. When I got out of Alabama, everything was good. <laughs> everything was good. Uh, oh, and the cars, man, oh, the cars. Like I can, I think I was the most annoying for that because I'd stop every 10 yards if I saw a really cool car just to go check it out. Like, and in certain, some of these cars that I checked out had like confederate, like there's confederacy stuff, but they had such a cool, like fuck all the confederacy stuff. You don't, if you just subtract all that stuff, all the cars is what really brought me to this dude. So this is a funny part, funny thing. We, we rolling through, I don't remember where we were. It had to be like Georgia. And there's this guy who has like an old limousine. He's got an old gas station that he had just from his yard. He had a bunch of Jeeps. He had like a bunch of old pickup stuff that I'm into, you know, like old crap. And I bring out my camera and I start taking photos and I see this guy pop out and mind you, he's got all his Confederate stuff on there. I don't give a fuck about that. I'm just like, Hey man, I like this car. We start talking about cars. We start talking about his, his class, his a bodies. He starts talking about stuff like that. But like, I think that if it wasn't for cars, he probably would never talk to me, you know, huh. but I, and I, and I don't think he, he was racist. I just think that he was stuck in his old ways, you know, of 
the Confederate flag, you know, so and he, he didn't mention anything about politics. I didn't mention anything about politics, even though it was during the election or whatever. We stuck to the conversation. I said, have a good day. And he went about his day. Anyway. But was I nervous? A little bit. But did I let it stop my curiosity? No. Mm-hmm. No. So looking back on this experience, I mean, you're telling these kinds of stories. I wonder how, do you feel differently about this experience than you thought you would setting out? And, you know, with some time to reflect, what does this accomplishment meant to you? Um, you know, I definitely see the ride as an accomplishment, but I definitely don't see that our job is done. You know, like there's a lot more to do. And I feel like personally, there's a lot more to do. There's a lot more we can do. And I'm just and make sure that we have the support that we need so that we can do it, you know? Because that was like all I kind of needed was that push or that first documentary to really open up a lot of doors and and do this advocacy that I dream so much about, you know? So, Can you say more about that advocacy and some of the things you that came up for you that you want to you want to do next? And what do you think is going to be important as you go forward with achieving some of your goals and working with these kinds of partners? Because it seems really uh, complicated. Yeah, it can be complicated. You just you just have to have a really open book and be open for, you know, compromising. You know, like a lot of things you might want, you know, but if you can compromise to get a certain part with one company, then you're able to get just a piece of what the entire pie that you want. You know, like I can get a piece in here, I can get a piece in there. But it's also like a lot of these a lot of these companies like are getting like backlashed from whatever racial injustice their company has might have bought into or been labeled upon. And then now they're trying to come back and diversify and fix a lot of their mistakes that, you know, have happened in the past, which is cool, you know, but that same energy should have been there before George Floyd, you know, in my opinion. I think that, is it fake? It could be. Is it honestly it could be also you know but it's all about how that company is willing to give back to the community at the end of the day because the company can say oh we're we have this grassroots ambassador program and come to find out that like you know it's it's not inclusive which i i totally like you know like anyone can get this sponsorship but when i go back and i hear about the labels i'm like okay there's this company has solely reached out to find these certain parties. Like they have black people, they have, they, they need to fill this quota for blacks. You need to fill this quota for large people that are what they call fat cyclists. You need to find this quota for young African-American cyclists. You need to find this quota for this. And it's just a job at that point. But are you really, really going to give back and like give these, these people with these ideas, these, the, the money and, support that they need to actually go in the communities and give it you know so it's like a battle yeah you gotta you have to prove yourself worthy enough you know that they're gonna they can't just give you this you have to kind of like show them okay this is the entire plan you know this is how we're gonna do it this is when we're gonna do you know like and it's it's not as easy as i thought it was gonna be for sure yeah and it sounds like beyond just they also have to prove themselves to you. So beyond just public statements of commitment to more diversity yeah. in cycling or, you know, having a more representative catalog, so to speak, that that actually is translating into the company from top to bottom. 
or and then but they were like hey do you want to sign up for our ambassador program i'm like fuck no why would i want to do that why would i want to sign a con- why would i want to ride your bike why would i want to sign your contract why would i want to wire your stuff if you can't do the simple thing like help me give bikes back to kids who really fucking need them i don't need this carbon bike i don't care for electronic shifting i don't care for carbon fiber none of that shit means anything to me like my dream is to do this so that's my idea and it's and it's not going to be pretty it's not going to be easy and that's one thing that I'm learning. I guess every day I wake up and like work on this new project, it's like a learning thing. Andy will tell you, like, I was spitballing, asking him questions about stuff I don't even know, you know, like trying to make sure that it's all right and it comes, the, the dream just happens. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know that you, you set out to do this necessarily, but you, you ran across a lot of kids out there and had an opportunity to interact with a lot of kids out there. And I think, you know, kids, they need, they need role models. They need people to look up to and, and see someone like out there riding more than a thousand miles across the country, across States for a lot of these kids who probably never been out of their own home state before. Like that's, it's got to mean a lot to them. And exactly. uh, who do you look up to when you look out at the, the, either the outdoor industry, the cycling industry even broader, do you have role models? Do you have people you look up to? Definitely. There's a, there's a few cyclists. Uh, my good buddy, Chaz, I met that dude. Uh, in like 2013 in one of the first stage races I signed up for and I actually signed up for it on my track bike like a dummy and I got as far as Philly and I was like this is stupid and um, I'll never forget that I was like my first time really like biking long distance and like racing and um, he was there and I got to chop it up with him and later on down the line we meet again at NAC and Worlds and just like that dude's style and like motivation to like be in the industry to, you know, and hustle in the industry and like be able to ride constantly and do what you want to do is, is an inspiration for sure. And then also like Masan is another, uh, if it wasn't a fixed gear, man, I don't know. I was really into fixed gears growing up or then now it's like Matthew Vanderpool, you know, he's, he's, a big inspiration dude was crushing it all last year crushing like one or two minute gaps gap in the field that's crazy michael crispin i don't know if you know who michael crispin is he's a he's a black he's a black french rider for canyon another dude another inspiration so we have a um we typically do these as a quote-unquote rapid fire, but we should just stop saying that because they're never rapid. They're always like 20-minute answers. So we kind of gave up. But the main idea was to try and just get people thinking on their feet, like not mm-hmm. overthinking the question, but it kind of relates okay. to um, food, mechanics, shit you should carry with you, yada, yada. Okay. So we'll give it a shot, but feel free to ramble on because that's actually... Rapid cool. fire. <laughs> <laughs> rapid, not, not rapid fire. Um, all right. So you rode a lot of miles. It sounds like you ate a lot of different places. <laughs> what was this? What, what was the strangest thing or what is the strangest thing you've ever eaten mid-ride? Pork rinds. <laughs> Like homemade pork rinds, and that was not a good idea. Yes, yeah, really bad indigestion after that one. What's the worst mechanical mishap you've experienced on a ride, and how did you deal? My crank fell off. <laughs> <laughs> That's happened to me on a ride with Sarah. Shit just fell yep. off. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Too many spaces on your BB will do that to you. <laughs> 
in a work shift too. I was so pissed. How did you feel? Oh my god! Also, my chain. Oh fuck! My chain falling off, bombing a hill on a track bike. You're skating and your chain falls off. Uh there's a video of that one. That's that's. Oh sketchy. my god! I got like a thousand. I got like a thousand views, but I had to just put my foot in the back tire. Oh my god! Yeah, I'll tag you in that one, Andy. Yeah, man, do it. Yeah, because your chain falls off. That's your propulsion and your brakes. <laughs> yeah, that is no. You, if you don't know how to e-brake, you're short. And we were descending a hill like this was a hit. I'm stopping to slow myself down and just chain falls off. Oh. It's so stretched. Yeah. See, I don't ride that bike anymore. <laughs> I, have yet to, I have yet to change that chain. I don't know. All, all my bikes are like kind of clapped. I mean, as a messenger, you just you oh, dude, I, I ride all my bikes. That's why they they all like are shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> they all make some type of weird noise, a creak. Or... Well, what's one thing you would bring with you on any big dumb ride, any tour, maybe even a work day in the city? Uh, music, specifically, uh, Baby Huey and the Babysitters. I think I listen to the album every day. I think that's our first music referenced on this podcast. I'm surprised it didn't come up more. Yeah, I don't know how you do it without it. If money and time was no object, what's one product that you bring to market that doesn't exist yet for cycling? And this could be anything you want. An app, a tool, accessory, piece of clothing, whatever. I want to make a, a bar in bong. Like you have a bong that you press and it pops out as a bowl. And on the other end, you smoke out of it. Like they don't make that yet. I've always thought about that. I've always thought about it. I feel that stoner can't be too hard. It can't, dude. It cannot. It cannot. Just don't use carbon bars. Because that could be yeah, really don't. <laughs> but like the actual bar end is like a metal piece. So you just pop the bar in then and use it as a pipe dude that'll sell you make a killing off of that rapid fire this one's not going to be a short answer probably but um you know can you tell us more about your relationship with cycling and what it means for you to ride a bike now after having oh done something like this cycling to me has always been it started off as like a as a job you know like if anything it was a way of probably one of the longest jobs i've ever had was a bike messenger and it's been one of the most fun fun jobs i've ever had so more it's like a lifestyle honestly now you know i wish i had more time to like ride leisurely i'm not working and like i just wish i had another mountain bike you know i really like really get into mountain biking a lot like i don't know i, I felt i just more attached to mountain biking than i am a lot of other stuff because like your sense of freedom is just really there when you're in the woods you know touring is cool racing is cool but mountain biking is just like no other um what so we want to hear a little bit more you referenced um some new goals and projects that came out of this ride um what is your new project called? Is it Smiles for Miles? And what's coming up next? Yes. Week? So my new project is called the Smiles for Miles Tour. And we're basically doing a cross-country enduro mountain bike trip. 
And a lot of these stops are not only going to be for shredding, but for actually giving bikes away. We're actually going to probably give away like 100 to 200 bikes each stop, which is the goal. And in Fort Worth, Texas, which is our, which is a stop where we're doing the most bikes, which is just uh, 500 bikes. We've already got that 500 bike, 500 bikes locked down. And um, all we got to, all we're doing now is just waiting on funding from a few other brands so that we can build the bus because we're traveling cross country in a homemade school bus that me and a few other gentlemen are going to put together with our fab skills and set off in June, roughly June, if we can get everything lined up. A lot of things are still in the works at the moment. I'm just trying to like hope that a lot of these conversations I've had with companies are just, you know, going well, they like it. Well, companies, if you're listening, you got to come through. <laughs> Probably we can say who you are, but we're all watching you. We're watching you. Yeah. Watching That's you. exciting. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. I'm nervous and excited at the same time, but I'm just hope that everything goes smoothly, which it's not, you know, as most <laughs> things don't. Like all big projects. How did you yeah. think the community is where you're headed? Because a lot of we mountain bikes destinations. I think that's a, that's a, big way of how we chose where we're going to do the advocacy rides is just mountain bike destinations. That way they can know where their local trail is. Okay. Like, Hey, if you meet us here, you have this local trail area that you can ride your bike at, you know, you can enjoy safely. That way each kid is familiar with the a trail system in their area instead of like guessing where it is or having to do research, but also like we're there to really just, give these kids like an opportunity to get a free bike and to learn how to take care of their bike. You know, we teach them how to fix tires, how to move up the chain, how to adjust the seat, you know, teach them the buddy system, how to safely ride with a friend in the woods. If you're going alone, you know, how to proper safety techniques, you know, where all your knee pads and your elbow pads, your helmet, things like that. Uh, About nutrition. That's a big thing, you know, staying hydrated, uh, ride within your comfort level. So there's a lot of things that, you know, a lot of knowledge that we have to just bring to, you know, a lot of folks. And I feel like, you know, with this tour, we're definitely going to create a, a whole new generation of cycling that like, will, you know, have this idea like, wow, these kids came to my neighborhood and they showed, they gave me this bike and tell me about, you know, college opportunities or job opportunities, you know, as, as a cyclist. And so like things like people that, you don't really get that opportunity. You know, people don't really give you these, that knowledge to know that, Oh, wow. If I rode a bike, I could do all these cool things, you know? Yeah. And you know, you're giving them some freedom too. It's like you said before, uh, nothing, yeah. nothing feels like freedom, like riding in the woods. I think yeah. that's what you said earlier. Definitely. 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 I'm actually going to advocacy today from Trek. I have a group of kids and talking to you at four 30. Pretty stoked on that. Well, we really appreciate you and uh, telling some stories from the Underground Railroad ride, which um, is amazing. And if people want to learn more, they can go to your website. Yep, undergroundrailroadride.com. Or check it out on Facebook, uh, same thing, Instagram, same thing. What's the new website? Uh, the new site is uh, smilesformiles.com. But well, we really appreciate you coming on. This has been super right. fun, John. Thank you so much. Yeah, anytime. Uh, I'm glad I could chat with you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's a super fun.
Well. What a way to cap our first season. What a way to cap our first season. Our first, the season we didn't know we would have. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> the season no one wanted. <laughs> but they got it anyway. <laughs> yeah. And we'll be back. We'll be back for season two where we will continue to be unprofessional. And <laughs> I might actually plug the microphone and I bought, which still hasn't been used. <laughs> Um, yeah, so yeah, this was a fun, uh, it's a fun little project. It was really such a fun way to stay connected with the bike family, bike friends, people we didn't know before, but you know, you kind of meet because bicycles do that. Yeah, hopefully season two happens against a very different backdrop. Yeah, yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, less lockdown and reflection and more big dumb riding. And I, I think people are um, really fit. <laughs> in a scary way and uh, really restless and you know I feel like there's going to be an explosion of big dumb ride adventuring I'm still surprised that Strava hasn't sponsored us yet. Mm -hmm. That was the real shocker from season one. Yeah, the, yeah, the biggest shocker is that Goo hasn't sponsored us. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone shot on Goo. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> Maybe we cut that out. <laughs>